I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Campsite Media. It's Saturday, December 1st, 1990. My good friend, Sean Singh, called me up, and he was like a great hype man. So he called me, and he plays the introduction to the NFL. You know how, uh, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. It's the day Dairo and his teammates at Monkler High School have been dreaming of since they were in the Cobras. The day that would change their lives, for better or worse. So he's playing that. <laughs> In the background, he said, this is you walking into Woodman Field. And he got this song, and it got me so, so hyped. (laughs) Their team is ranked number one in the state and number six in the nation. And with one more win, they'll become the first Montclair team ever to finish a season 11-0. This game isn't just about a state championship. It's about legacy. And for some players, it's about joining Quintus McDonald and Aubrey Lewis atop the Mount Rushmore of Montclair football. Town parades, tons of scholarship offers, maybe even the NFL. But the morning of the game, the Mounties aren't thinking about that. They're just doing their best to stay focused and calm. Like, I was loose, man. I was loose. I wasn't tense. I wasn't like, this is the biggest game of my career and I'm very tensed or whatever. That's not the case. At around 8 a.m., some of the Mounties had planned to meet up that morning. It's a home game so they can just walk down to the school. Here's Garland Thornton, one of the team's seniors. The kids who live down south end, they would start walking and then you'd come out your house and then they would go to one neighborhood and we would go another. So it was like maybe like 40 or 50 of us walking together. So walking up with your helmet, that's how everybody knew that you were part of the football team because you were walking with your helmet. Everybody passing us, they're blowing the horn and everybody's yelling, yo, let's go. I mean, it was something, that, it was like, wow. I love this image. It's like Remember the Titans, a group of Mounties players holding their helmets under their arms making their way through the streets of Montclair. More players start joining, spilling from their homes or catching up from down the block until it's a big crew walking shoulder to shoulder. On the way, they stop for breakfast at their favorite hangout, Ray's Luncheonette. We ate for free that morning. They made us pancakes with bacon. I'd never seen so many pancakes, but they were trying to feed us and make sure that we were full. And they they were talking to us like, come on guys, you gotta do this. I'm going, I can't wait, da 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 da. Like, you know, getting kind of choked up about it. It was like a real good feeling with the community at that point. It seemed like the whole town was humming with excitement. 
Fans had been popping into Rays all week to grab their tickets for $5 a piece. Buses are starting to come in from out of town. The boys start to realize a lot of people are coming to this game. But once they get to the field house and inside the locker room and start to suit up, things go quiet. Steve Bafico remembers the mood. We wore blue tops and we had these white pants with kind of snazzy piping on them. And um, there's something about smelling the game day jersey. I don't know what kind of industrial grade soap that they use, but there was like a very distinctive smell about the uniforms. But I just remember the smell of those jerseys and the lockers clanging and the sounds of like putting on your pads when you slide them on taping your ankles, you're taping somebody else's ankle or wrist and you the tear of the tape. Through the locker room window, you could see hundreds of fans filing into the stands. The stands were packed. I mean, we had something like 15,000 or more people that made it to this game. And every one of them would never forget what they saw that day. From Campside Media, Entertainment One, and NJ Advanced Media, this is Lights Out. I'm Matt Stanmeyer, and this is episode four, The Game. Here it is, ladies and gentlemen. A game of uh, so many moments. Maybe the last play of this game. Six seconds remain. Montclair-Randolph was the biggest high school football game in the state, maybe even the country. Two unbeaten teams, number one Montclair versus number two Randolph, for the state championship, for immortality. The school had to bring in extra bleachers from different parks across town, and they set them up on all four sides of the field, like a bowl. But even with the extra seating, a ton of people couldn't get in, so they climbed trees and stood on rooftops to watch from the perimeter. They hadn't seen crowds like this since the 60s. Montclair pride could pretty much be heard for miles. But the Mounties aren't able to really comprehend the magnitude until they step onto the field for warm-ups. Here's Garland again. That's when it hit, because you couldn't see the field. Like, it was so many people. Like, Woodman Field was like a matchbox. It was so small. And I was like, oh, crap. I was like, this is huge. I've never seen that many people before in my life in that small vicinity, you know. That's what made it really special for me. It almost got too big. Like, you know, it almost got, like, for an 18-year-old kid, you're like, what are we doing here, you know? They'd seen huge crowds before for games against Bloomfield, Passaic, and Union, but never anything like this. This was a matchup for the ages, and word had clearly spread not just in New Jersey, but across the country. Here's Steve again. We had Reader's Digest, TV Guide, People Magazine, and Sports Illustrated covering this game. And maybe, like, we had suburban cable vision, TV3. But just the fact that you had national media at the game, that made it totally different, right? You're like, holy shit, okay, this is a big stage. Matt Bellis, the Mounties' backup quarterback, said it felt exclusive, but also kind of ridiculous. There were literally celebrities there to watch a high school football game. Like the dad from Good Times, John Amos. I'm like, what is going on? Where's JJ? (laughs) Where's Thelma? Like, I mean, imagine. Imagine that. But that was Montclair Randolph. But there was something else that was unique about Montclair Randolph. These teams weren't old rivals. They'd never played against each other before. Coach Jack Davies happened to know the Rams coach well. 
He told the Montclair Times that he and John Bauer Sr. had attended football clinics together, and Bauer would stay up all night talking shop. So Davies knew what Bauer was capable of, but they had never actually coached against each other. Remember, since Randolph was a smaller school than Montclair, they had been in different conferences, which are like completely different leagues. I will be very honest with you. I don't think any of us knew anything about Randolph. I don't even know where it was. I mean, they were the Rams. We knew they ran like a wing T type of kind of complex motion and offense. And we spent a lot of time on film. My impressions were there are a lot of skinny white kids, okay, but they don't make mistakes and they're very precise. It seemed like everyone but the Mounties knew exactly who the Rams were. Their reputation in New Jersey preceded them. And on their side, just as much is at stake, if not more. Randolph is playing for its fifth straight state championship and for its 49th victory in a row. Winning this game would give them the state record for most consecutive games without a loss. As their bus rolls down the interstate toward Montclair, the Rams are feeling the weight of the day and no doubt thinking of Coach Bauer Sr., who died just 17 days earlier. It's eerily silent, butterflies in everyone's stomachs, knees are bouncing in seats. As they pass through town, Montclair fans stop and glare. I remember very vividly this one barber, he's got his white apron on, he's holding scissors and, and a comb, and he walks out of the barbershop, like an old little Italian guy, and he's just watching the bus go by. And it's like we made eye contact. This is Pete Sedarius. He's the Randolph lineman we heard from in the last episode. Pete said the Rams knew what they were up against. Montclair was a two-platoon team with more than 50 players on their roster, while most of Randolph's 11 starters had to play on both sides of the ball. And the Mounties had an incredible quarterback. The Rams had also been studying them on film. And I remember we watched the Morris Knowles game, and I remember just seeing you know Lamont Ponton throw the ball all over the field that day. So we knew that our defensive backs have to do a good job of staying in position, but we also have to put pressure on the quarterback because if we let Lamont do whatever he wants, he could be very dangerous and he could hurt us. On paper, the Rams were the underdogs, which was weird for them, but it didn't shake their confidence, not one bit. Because after all, they're back-to-back-to-back-to-back champions. I don't remember feeling pressure. I just remember wanting to play, going out there and proving that we are the better team. Because the buildup was, oh, Montclair's bigger, Montclair's faster, Montclair's stronger. No, we can and we will and we're going to beat them. Like, we never thought we were not going to win. Emotions are high, even in retrospect. They were a small, close-knit unit. Most of them were seniors, so this would be their last game together. And on top of all that, they just lost the man they've looked up to their entire lives. Coach Bauer Sr. was like a father to them. But his son, Coach Bauer Jr., is with them, and he led by example. If he could put his grief on hold and show up, they had no excuse. Here's Bauer Jr. being interviewed just before the game. How do you feel personally? There must be some mixed emotions about what's happening now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess, I guess there are. They're, they're, they're difficult to, uh, to express. That The only thing that I can say is that uh, uh, I think I feel, I feel closer to Dad here doing what I'm doing, and uh, I probably hurt more doing that, but it's also a great feeling. It's, it, it's, it's a strange type of thing. Uh, I really don't want to be here, and yet it's the only place to be. It's a clear and sunny day, around 50 degrees, perfect football weather. Finally, everyone's at their seats, but almost no one is sitting. The cheerleaders are chanting, cowbells are rattling, 
The bands are pounding their drums. The most important people are making their way out to midfield right now. They are the captains of the respective teams. Montclair in the blue, Randolph in the white. And then it was time for kickoff. Brad Lister, number 32, does the kicking for the Mounties. And the Rams will get first possession in this Section 2 Group 4 championship game. And Dick, all we can hope for is that this game lives up to all its expectations. A lot of times in sports, epic games like this are built up beyond belief. And then the actual matchup on the field can't possibly live up to the hype. But in this case, it did. And then some. That's after the break. deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So like I said, Montclair is the favorite. They're big in numbers and size. They have the home field advantage, and they have their coach. Davies is in good spirits as usual. He's totally ignoring the rumor swirling that this might be his last game ever, and he's got faith in his team. That's what he tells a reporter before the game. I would think, though, that three touchdowns to two. And who's favor? I certainly hope the Mounties. I got Mountie fever. I caught it up at the pep rally. Randolph won the toss and elected to receive the ball. Game on. The Rams fielded the opening punt, then marched down the field and all the way into the end zone, making it look easy. Touchdown. On the eighth play of the drive, Dan Duran scores only his second TD of the year, but it puts the Rams in front 6-0. But the early deficit didn't make the Mounties sweat because they had Lamont Ponton, Mr. Cool. Randolph's quarterback, Mike Groh, told me that going into the game, he wasn't intimidated by Lamont, but he didn't underestimate him either. I mean, I remember Lamont Ponton. I knew how good he was and that I was going to have to play my best for our team to have a chance to win because I knew how special a player he was. But we did not fear anybody. And that goes back to really the root of our training all the time. And we heard that over and over, right? You know, respect everyone, fear no one. And regardless of how big or how fast or how strong they were, that it wasn't about them, it was about us and what we did. Mike was kept in check by Montclair's tough defense. The Rams didn't score again in the first half. Lamont, on the other hand, did his thing. Ponton rolling outside, he's got to get around Mitchell. He throws for the end zone, Sudovar has it, touchdown Montclair! That is what makes Lamont Ponton such a good quarterback. He has matured so much, he had a choice, run or throw, and he saw that 
throwing would get him six. Running would have gotten him yardage, but throwing got him points. Montan looking to throw. He finds Curry for a touchdown. Great move, a great move. Six-yard touchdown pass. After Randolph took that early lead, Montclair stormed back behind Lamont. He threw two touchdown passes to give them a 14-7 halftime lead. Montclair was in the driver's seat. Then Lamont added a third scoring pass late in the third quarter to put them ahead 21-13. They maintained their lead all the way through the fourth quarter. And that's when things got really tight. Randolph responded by driving 80 yards and scoring on a one-yard touchdown. But Mike's two-point conversion pass was batted away by Garland, preserving Montclair's 21-19 lead. And when the Mounties got the ball back with a chance to ice the game, they floundered and had to punt. So with less than two and a half minutes left, the Rams had possession. And they were down by just two. And this is where the tension really starts to ramp up. The Rams are in great field position, starting from their own 47-yard line. This could very well be the final possession of the game. They could take their time, eat up the remainder of the clock, and try to win with a field goal or even a touchdown. Mike completes a long pass on first down, and the Rams are into Montclair territory. And play-by-play, they're inching closer and closer to the end zone, gobbling precious final seconds. Suddenly, Montclair's in big trouble. The Rams get all the way down to the 20-yard line. Those grueling summer workouts are starting to pay dividends. And then, the first miracle happens. Malachak fumbles the ball! Montclair has it! It's Montclair football! Howard Goldborn recovered for Montclair with a minute 17 left. The Mounties have it back. That's right. Randolph fumbles with just over a minute left in the game. It's Montclair ball. Incredible. And then Howard recovered a fumble. I was like, all right, this game's over. And the Montclair Mounties are one minute and 17 seconds away from winning the state championship. And having their first ever 11-0 season. This was just a stunning turn of events. Only seconds earlier, it looked as if the Rams were on their way to pulling off an insane upset. They had the ball, they had the clock on their side. It was just a matter of time before they took the lead for good. But in the blink of an eye, it was now the Mounties who were creeping towards immortality. The Rams are still hopeful, but at this point, some of their fans can't even bear to watch. They actually start to walk out to beat the traffic from Montclair back to Randolph. Meanwhile, Gary Sistrunk and his teammates are on the sidelines envisioning their championship rings. You know, what you want to get the jacket or the ring? Well, you know, we all, we can't get the jackets and the rings, you know, so we all got to agree on one thing. But Montclair's coaches knew a tricky set of decisions loomed. Coach Davies huddled with his assistants and offensive coordinator Ed Labita, working the math. 71 seconds remain, but Randolph had two timeouts. They would obviously use both to stop the clock. Montclair could run the ball and try for a game-clinching first down, or they could let Lamont throw downfield. But what if they turned it over? Ed Labita was their offensive coordinator. He remembers those final moments like they were yesterday. We were pretty deep in our own territory, so you had to be very, very careful that you didn't turn the ball over, but you really had to pay close attention to time of snapping the ball, and it was really, really close. In these final, tense moments, there wasn't much time to think. Davies and his staff had a minute at best to analyze one of the biggest decisions of their coaching careers. While their players are waiting anxiously for the play, and thousands of fans are screaming. And even though several Montclair coaches were involved in these final discussions, 
It really all came down to Coach Davies, the outsider, who had never delivered a state title at Montclair. This was his legacy on the line. He and everyone in the stadium knew he had stumbled under pressure before. Union in 85 down near the goal line, the Roxbury trick play in 86, the disaster in Denville the previous season. The pressure was on to get this one right and quiet all the naysayers once and for all. Finally, Coach Davies and Ed Labita decided if they kneeled on the ball three times and allowed every second to tick off the clock on fourth down, only three or four seconds would be left on the clock at most. And worst case, they figured a fourth down punt would erase those final seconds. Matt Bellis had a front row seat to the decision making. He was sitting right next to Labita. He's a math teacher, right? So he, he did the math and uh, he was convinced it was three seconds, maybe four. So ultimately, the Montclair coaches felt confident in their plan and they relayed their instructions to Lamont. He trots out to the field and kneels on the ball, now inside their 20-yard line. Randolph calls timeout. Then, Lamont kneels again on second down, and Randolph calls their final timeout. Ponton falls on the ball. Timeout will be called. 42 seconds to go. The cheering is building and building as they gear up for what they think could be the final play of the game. Lamont gets the ball, scrambles backward, and kneels again on third down. But Randolph has no more timeouts, so they're forced to watch the clock tick, tick, tick. At this point, an announcer says the ready for play signal from the officials was at 29 seconds, and the play clock for fourth down starts. It's 25 seconds. And if Montclair doesn't hike the ball before the play clock runs out, the refs will call a delay of game penalty. That would leave four seconds remaining in the game, if the refs are on the ball. And then, the fourth down would have to be replayed. So the math is simple enough, right? 29 minus 25 equals four. But this is where things get really muddy. Montclair doesn't make a play on fourth down, and the refs blow the whistle at five seconds. They call a delay of game one second too soon. The crazy thing is no one seems to notice or care really. Everyone was watching the game clock on the field. So even though the refs blew the whistle, the clock doesn't stop. Five seconds left. Well, the official. Well, there's the celebration. Here come the fans. The crowd starts counting down the final seconds on the scoreboard in unison. Suddenly, hundreds of Montclair fans start pouring from the bleachers. And then the clock hits zero. People go nuts. The scoreboard clock runs out. The fans storm the field. They're jumping up and down, hugging and kissing, pumping their fists. Montclair's players join in, tossing their helmets in the air. The Mounties think the game is over. They won. They're champions. Immortal. Number one. 11-0. The best ever. It was all zero. So everybody's running off from the field and everybody, we won. We're national champions. Fans rush the field. I got kissed by a girl. I didn't even know. It's a good day. We're getting fitted for rings. You're like, yeah. But then the whistles start blowing. Over and over. Louder and louder. Well, the clock runs out. But now the official on the field has motion that the time must be reset. That's, that's not good. That's just not good. It could end up with a, with a, with a very serious after effect here. Fans are everywhere. One team is celebrating. The scoreboard clock had run out. But the officials were signaling the game wasn't over. At this point, it's mass confusion. And they will have to get them off the field. This will take more than a couple of minutes, I'm sure. Clock shows zero, zero, zero. Why? The officials are waving the fans off the field. My question is, why did the officials stop the clock? 
the PA announcement ringing out, please will all fans leave the field. And then there's a big discussion, and I'm like, what, what's he saying? What's going on? There's more time. They want to put more time on the clock. The game was not over. Montclair had not won. The ref said there was still time left on the clock. Mounties coaches aren't surprised, because by their own math, they figured three, four, or five ticks at most would be remaining. But then the referee barked out the numbers. Seven seconds. Seven seconds is the call from Joe Fisher. That's a little too long to run around. So Joe Fisher has told us seven seconds are left in the game. Seven seconds? That was too much time. It doesn't seem to add up. Even Dick Zimmer, one of the announcers, said on the broadcast that only four seconds should have been left. Here's the ready for play with four seconds it should be. Four seconds. The ready for play was at 29. A game of uh, so many moments today. This is unbelievable. It's pandemonium, right? People are going nuts. There wasn't much time to think. So maybe the referees messed up big time, but Davies and his team can't dwell on it. They still have to finish the game and win this thing. And now, there are seven seconds to work with. Labita told me they thought about having Lamont run around the backfield with the ball and then throw it high and far, hopefully for long enough to use up those seven seconds. But it was risky. He could get tackled in the backfield or fumble in the end zone. So they went with plan B. Lamont would have to punt it, high and far. The thinking was, the ball might stay in the air long enough to eat up those final seconds. And after all, Lamont was a great punter. One more good punt should do the trick. So they sent their star back onto the field. Lamont stood in his own end zone, ready to field the snap. Jack Davies has instructed Lamont Ponton what to do, and my guess at this point is... As soon as you get it, kick it away. Even even a 10-yard punt doesn't hurt now right. because the kick. clock will run. Catch the ball, kick the ball. Catch the ball, kick the ball. Ponton in punt formation. The snap, he gets it away. We need to get off a good punt, cover the ball, and run the clock out, right? But he just shanks it. He kicks it like 10 yards. The punt was short, really short. Lamont had to kick against the wind, and it only went 11 yards. This allowed the Rams to stay in field goal range. And the Rams punt returner, Billy Williams, made an amazing play. He catches the ball as he's falling to the ground, which downs the ball with one second left. Billy Williams comes up to get it, falls immediately to his knees. A fair catch is called. One second left. One second showing on the clock. I didn't see him wave his hand. I didn't see him wave his hand. There's one second to go. Randolph can go for a field goal. They'll have to set it up quickly. Let's see if they can get it off on time. The Mounties are completely dazed. One moment, they're picking rings and kissing fans. And the next, they're on the verge of the unthinkable. They're so lost that their defense is still on the sideline as Randolph lines up for the final field goal. There are no Montclair defenders on the field. Montclair is forced to call timeout to regroup which gives Randolph more time to prepare for the kick. If you can put it in your mind as a movie, everything was slow motion. Rowe will be attempting a 37-yard field goal. Now it all came down to Mike Grow. He was Randolph's quarterback and kicker. He'd kicked plenty of extra points that season. But for some reason, he'd only kicked one other field goal. Now, he's staring down a 37-yarder. 
that's damn long by high school standards. And the winning streak, the number one ranking, the state championship, the legacy of his coach, all of it would come down to his right foot. Mike thought about something his dad told him the night before. His dad, Al Groh, was an assistant coach for the New York Giants. And like a typical coach, he taught Mike to prepare for anything and everything. That final chat proved to be prescient. The night before the game, my dad asked me, he said, what, what if it comes down to a field goal? And my response was, I hope it doesn't. He said, you better be ready in case it does. All I remember is just focusing on my process, going through my steps, and just trying to make the kick. I wasn't trying to make the kick to keep the streak alive um, or to win the state championship game or to beat a team that's nationally ranked. I was trying to make a kick. Mike's laid back by nature, maybe because he grew up in the South. So he just jogs out onto the field, takes a deep breath, and gets into position. Two steps back, then three steps over. Here it is, ladies and gentlemen, Mike Rowe. Here's the ball game. Here's the winning streak. 11 guys after Montclair. The state championship on the line. The hearts are in our throats. He puts his kicking shoe on. He comes out. My entire world was that viewfinder. So 10,000 fans, sidelines, linesmen, everything. This is Bob Karp. He's one of many photographers on the sidelines, watching the last seconds of the game between the Mounties and the Rams trying to understand what he's seeing. And all I was looking at is the kicker and the holder. And, you know, you hear the ball hiked. Here's the kick. See so kick go up. The kick is up! The world fades away around him. There's no sound, no smells, just the tiny square of color and light in the viewfinder. And then he clicks the shutter. And I just started shooting. And all of a sudden, Mike Gross started jumping up in the air. And I'm like, they couldn't possibly have made that field goal. And the kick is good! Randolph wins! Randolph wins! 49 straight! So I looked away from my camera, and I just saw the Montclair kids were like down. The Randolph kids were running onto the field. John Bowers Sr.'s gonna love it! When Bob snaps back to reality, He's stunned. He's just captured history. The Rams are leaping in the air, and at their feet, the Mounties players are laid out on the field, faces in the dirt, like it's a battlefield. Bob's favorite photo from that day looks like a Renaissance painting, one that captures pure joy and heartbreak in the same breath. Gary remembers lying there for a long time. After that ball went to the uprights, I remember all of the players that were on the field basically collapsed. We all collapsed. There were players that laid on that grass. Everyone was crying. I've never felt hurt like that in my life. It felt like somebody took my soul from me. I'm laying on the ground and somebody picks me up because your body's there, but your soul is gone. Even the announcers can't believe what they just witnessed. What can you say? They find a way to beat you, just like people have said. While I was reporting this story, I heard this kind of sentiment from almost every person on the Montclair side. It just didn't make sense. The whiplash of the field goal going through the upright stuck with the players. It was like a collective hallucination. It was uh, a feeling that this isn't real. This isn't happening. Like, we had this taken from us. This game was ours. It was over. I didn't understand I didn't understand the seven seconds. I didn't understand why, 
you know, it got to that point. How could they even be allowed to kick a field goal? I, um, so it was just walking around a state of confusion. I'm almost, you know, guilty or ashamed of how bad I felt because I, I had lost my grandfather when I was in eighth grade, and I would, I would say the feelings were very similar. I knew the kind of impact a loss like this could have. I had experienced it myself. A lifelong dream ripped away in an instant. Those visions of achieving something that everyone in your town will always remember, suddenly gone. But these guys seem uniquely heartbroken. So many players said this moment was a turning point in their lives, as if their understanding of themselves had somehow changed after this day. And I wanted to understand why. Here's what Dairo told me. You play the game all year. You're in high school. You're not playing for money. You're not playing for anything like that. But we're playing for the honor of the game. And it was robbed from us. Just imagine, Matt, if someone took you to the 20th floor and then pushed you over. It's like you can cross your T's and dot your I's, but you can still lose. Their coaches peel them off the grass and carry them into the field house. They're speechless, bereft, sobbing. Coach Davies tries to comfort them. They played a great game. They're still champs, but they're inconsolable. And outside... Mountie fans were enraged. We saw guys smashing out the windows with their helmets. I did. At Woodman Field, it was scary. I was kind of afraid for my safety going back into the locker room and hearing windows you know, smashing out and guys are kicking things. And we heard stories of fans running onto the buses at Randolph and swearing at their players. They came on our bus, they called us cheaters. There were kids yelling at us, you know, saying that we cheated, we stole it from them. Mike Mafucci vividly remembers people being vicious to the refs. He was getting yelled at and booed leaving the field. Uh, I mean, there was people going after the referees physically. They had to get them police escorted out of Montclair. There was fights in the parking lot, fights in the streets. It was chaos. That night, the boys still went to the after party. Suds had a party. And we went there. And we just got drunk. We just, you know, beer was on a house. I guess his parents just, <laughs> y'all could just, just drink until your heart desires. I don't forget going there and really, 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 really drinking. What was the vibe there at that point? I mean, what? Um, the vibe was, I can't believe we lost. Like, like what are you going to do now? But our story doesn't end here. That was only the beginning of their misery, of the black cloud that would seem to hover over the town and the boys for weeks, months, and even years. Next time on Lights Out. It was like a dark cloud over the school. Disaster ensued. What happened was very obvious. It wasn't an accident. Did we miss a signal? That's possible. No one wants to talk about it. Why? Because guilt is on the line somewhere. Someone's guilty of something. After the game, he became invisible. And that was it, boom, gone. It was really kind of a fade to black. It's kind of like he just dropped off the face of the earth, you know. The Davies has no comment. Over, and they lost, it's over. <laughs> yeah.
Lights Out is a production of Campside Media and Entertainment One in association with NJ Advanced Media and XTR. This series was reported and hosted by me, Matt Stanmeyer. Naomi Brauner is the senior producer, and Kim Baikema is the associate producer. Additional production support from Natalia Winkleman and Campside senior producer, Lindsay Kilbride. Our story editor and executive producer is Emily Martinez. Mixing, sound design, and original music by Ewen Leitremuen. This series was fact-checked by Lauren Vespoli and Matt Giles. Special thanks to Robert Fox, Chris Kelly, Steve Politti, Anthony Pacillo, Jeff McGrath, and Paul Spahala. A special thanks to our operations team, Doug Slaywin, Ashley Warren, and Destiny Dingle. Our executive producers are Lee Eisenberg from A Piece of Work, Justin Lacob from XTR, and from Campside Media, Josh Dean, Vanessa Gregoriadis, Adam Hoff, and Matt Scher. If you enjoyed Lights Out, please rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.